Today, I'd like to talk to you about the power of prayer and the mercy and grace of God and how they are inextricably linked together. Yesterday, I had the privilege of, of doing a workshop with 14 of our prayer ministers, 10 in person and four online, and one who was in person and then went online. <laughs> um, and I am privileged to be a part of a vibrant prayer ministry here at Servants of Christ. We have 54 active prayer ministers who live in Gainesville and places beyond who are actively praying and continually praying for the needs of this congregation, for the needs of the loved ones of this congregation, and for the needs of the church and the world. We have prayer ministers who will pray for you during communion over on that side of the church. We, if you need more in-depth prayer, we have soaking prayer the first Tuesday of every month. And if you feel you need even more in-depth prayer, we are more than happy to have a one-on-one -on -one prayer appointment with you. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, because if you'll notice in our readings today, they are about, among other things, the mercy of God and the power of prayer. Because today, God's mercy, you can see in our readings, answered prayer. Now, I want to explain to you what mercy is and what grace is. Mercy is not being punished when I deserve to be by someone who has the right to punish me. That's mercy. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a positive thing. God pours out grace. So mercy, God could punish us, but because of the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he doesn't. And then he pours out our grace upon us. So let me start with the first reading in Exodus. And I wanna go back a little bit. Most of us are familiar with the story of Exodus. God, in his mercy and grace, saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt by that dramatic fashion, the parting of the Red Sea. I think believers and non-believers all are familiar with that. Next, in the desert, the Israelites complained that they didn't have any money, any money, any water, any water. So God leads them to water, and then he cleanses the water for them. Well, then they were hungry, and then God provided manna for them. Well, then they didn't care just for the manna, so God provided meat for them. And then they grew thirsty again, so God led them to water once more. And now, in our lesson today, they are at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God is coming to converse with Moses and to give him the Ten Commandments. Oh, and by the way, God tells Moses to tell the people not to come up the mountain or they'll perish. So God saves them once again. So Moses heads up to the mountain to talk to God. What do the Israelites do? Well, they get tired of waiting. 
And I want you to know, I am not picking on the Israelites. How many of us get tired of waiting on God? Okay, so I don't want you to think this is pick on Israelites day. We all have the same problem. And so what do they say? They gather around Aaron and they say, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, they even acknowledge that he saved them and brought them up out of Egypt. We don't know what happened to him. Even though uh, Israel had seen on many occasions the invisible God in action, they wanted a visible, physical representation of God. Now the foreign God, Baal, was, I believe, thought to have been the form of a bull. So perhaps they thought, well, we'll have a calf that will represent our God. And again, I don't want you to think I'm picking on the Israelites because in all honesty, if we're honest with ourselves, how many times do we want to shape God into our own image? And how many times do we want to decide whether, oh, this is the God who would tell me to do this or this is the God that would allow me to do this? We, like the Israelites, want to shape God in our own image. Well, what happened next? God got very angry. And he said, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. So here is uh, our God, rightfully angry, ready to destroy the Israelites. He even, and I love this, he even calls them your people. He says to Moses, these are your people. It's not my, okay, who has children? Who has said that? <laughs> that is your son. Okay, all right. But what does Moses do? And this is what I want you to really hear. It says, Moses sought the favor of the Lord. Moses engaged in intercessory prayer. He, intercession, okay, intercessory prayer is prayer that pleads with God for your needs and the needs of other. And so Moses interceded for his people. Did they deserve punishment? Yes. But God, in his mercy, God who is in the position and has the right to punish them, does not punish them. He relents and he acts consistently with his character to have mercy, right? Although the Israelites deserve God's anger, in his mercy, God is willing to forgive and to restore them. The power of prayer, the mercy of God. Our psalm today gives us another great example of the power of prayer and the mercy and grace of God. Psalm 51 is King David's prayer of confession an intercession for himself after Nathan the prophet confronts him about his adultery with Bathsheba and his complicitness and responsibility for the death of her husband Uriah and then the subsequent death of their child. The story is recounted in 2 Samuel 11 and it begins with, In the spring, when kings go off to war, 
And I will add to that, but David didn't go. But David didn't go, and that was his first mistake. David abandoned his kingly duties. He focused on his own desires. He sinned deliberately, and then with a sin, he tried to cover it up. And the final sentence in chapter 11 is a a bit of an understatement, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. In the next chapter then, the prophet Nathan confronts David with his sin. It's a great story. It's chapter 12 in 2 Samuel, read it. It really is a great story of how Nathan roundabout confronts David and makes David admit his own sin. And then David, at the end of it, in an understatement says, I have sinned against the Lord. And the result of the sin was the death of his and Bathsheba's child. He subsequently writes Psalm 51. Just an amazing psalm, the one we say at the beginning of every Lent. How does it begin? Have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David prays for himself a prayer of confession and intercession. And what does God do? God forgives him. The unlimited mercy and grace of God. The power of prayer and the unlimited reservoir of God's mercy. You see, David's story illustrates that no sin is too great that God's mercy cannot overcome if we but confess our sins, right? Adultery, idolatry, murder. But God continues to show mercy in forgiveness. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And nowhere is it better explained than in Paul's letter to Timothy. I I just love this. Paul says it so eloquently. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. In Acts, we read the story about how Paul stood by holding the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen to death. But what happened? But I, Paul says, received mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. And this phrase we say, usually every Sunday it just depends. In the comfortable words, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul adds, of of whom I am the foremost. Paul, Saint Paul, the man who wrote all of the letters in our New Testament or most of the letters in our New Testament says, I am the foremost of sinners. 
And then he says, but I received mercy. And the mercy of God is so great as Paul is writing this. And it was pointed out to us by our bishop at our clergy conference this week that Paul breaks out in praise and worship and says in verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul's writings to Timothy, David's writing of Psalm 51, and Moses' intercessory prayer for the Israelites show that no sin is too great that God's mercy cannot overcome if we but pray to him in humility. And then finally, in our gospel today, in our gospel today, we have the familiar story of the lost sheep and perhaps the less familiar story of the lost coin. The lost sheep has strayed far from the shepherd. And if we want to, we can think the lost sheep, okay, so maybe he was an adulterer, maybe he was an idolater, maybe he was a murderer. He has strayed so far from the shepherd. But the shepherd, in his mercy, goes out and finds him. Not only if we come to him will God forgive us, but God, and I always have loved this phrase, God is the hound of heaven and he will go and get you <laughs> because of his mercy. Because like the sheep to the shepherd and like the lost coin to the woman, God understands and believes in the value of each individual soul. I love the story about the woman with the coin, and as I was researching it, I had read that Palestinian women of the time received 10 silver coins as a wedding present. Now, and each coin had about the approximate value of a day's wage. Now, besides the monetary value, it had a very much of a sentimental value because it's like a wedding ring. It was like a wedding ring. So for the woman to lose one of them, would be a big deal. She recognizes the value. So she, like God, proverbially lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and searches carefully until that lost coin or that lost soul is found. And I love the, the location, as Father James always says, of where this parable is. Let me read the, the beginning, the first sentence. Now the taxpayers and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners, lost sheep, lost coins, adulterers, murderers, and eats with them. And Jesus knows what they're saying. He can hear and he senses so what does he do? What does Jesus do? He teaches them about God's mercy. He teaches them that God's mercy is so vast that as Romans 5, 8 tells us, and I always love this, God demonstrated his own love for us 
and, and the translation is, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I like the translation, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. That's God's mercy. We deserve death. God grants us mercy. What's in between that? Prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Prayer, unlimited mercy. So, what can we as God's people do? Well, for one thing, like Moses and David did, we can pray. We are to pray without ceasing. And at our workshop yesterday, a prayer request came up that I would like to extend to the entire congregation. On Tuesday, the vestry will be choosing the five individuals for the search committee for our new rector. If you can, I'm asking you as members and friends of Servants of Christ to begin praying that God would give wisdom to the vestry, that God would show them who these people should be, and that those people that the vestry selects once they've asked the Lord and are guided by the Holy Spirit, that those persons would be open to be on that search committee. Because I think right now there is nothing more important in the life of servants of Christ as to who will be our next rector. And so I want to put that out to you and ask, please be praying about our search committee. I wanted to finish up by saying, Lord have mercy is called the mercy prayer. We pray it every Sunday. Kyrie eleison. When we say our prayers of the people, what do we say? Lord, hear our, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In the Psalms are full of prayers of God's mercy. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Be merciful to me. Prayer and mercy. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help mercy, and prayer. And in the New Testament, people continue to call on God's mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. The two blind men, as they approach Jesus, what do they say? Have mercy on us, son of David. Others come to Jesus and ask intercessory prayer for their loved ones. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. Or, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. In each case, someone calls on his mercy. Jesus responds. This is the power of prayer and the unlimited God's mercy. We are all called to pray. We are all called to pray. So I urge you to pray. But if there are those of you in the congregation after hearing this today or tomorrow or next week or next month, feel that tug on your heart. The Holy Spirit saying to you, yes, I, I do pray, but I really feel a burden to pray for others, to become an intercessory prayer warrior, as we call ourselves, to pray for those on the prayer chain, to pray in person, to pray 
soaking prayer. Please, don't hesitate. Come and see Mary Langland, who is the head of our prayer team, or any of our priests. If that tug is on your heart, be sure to answer it. Because we realize that God's mercy is something he showers on us every day. Lamentation tells us your mercies are new every day. We don't deserve it, but God grants it. And that, that's cause for a hallelujah. <laughs> so let us pray. Father God, you are so gracious that in your mercy, Lord, you desire that we not be steeped in our sins, but that we come to you and be reconnected, Lord, by your mercy and your grace. Father, I pray now that all of us here today will continue to be aware of the mercies that you pour out upon us and we will pray for ourselves, for our loved ones, for this church, for our leaders, for anything, Lord, that your Holy Spirit puts on our heart. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being co-workers with you and extending your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.